Hey, welcome to the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast with me, Rob Kosberg. Every week, I interview thought leaders and experts who have used the book to grow their income and their impact. So tune in weekly for these interviews so you can learn how to use your own best-selling book and go from hunting for clients and opportunities to instead being the hunted. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. It's Rob Cosper here. Excited to uh, bring another episode of the Publish Promote Profit podcast to you. I have a great guest today. I think somebody that you're really going to enjoy. You know, a lot of our books that we discuss are of authors that are uh, business owners. And of course, uh, Bew White is that, but he's written in conjunction with someone else, uh, a bestseller called Summer Classic, The Bew White Story by uh, Christopher Taunton. And, um, you know, it's going to be, I think, uh, really enjoyable to talk about his motivations and what he's using in that book. He was uh, 2013 uh, Entrepreneur of the Year, voted by the Society. Of International Business Fellows in 2021, just last year. Congratulations, Bu. You received a Lifetime Achievement Award from uh, the International Casual Furnishing Association. So, congrats on that. I know you're a very, very successful entrepreneur. So, it's uh, great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you, Ron. Is this your first book, by the way? I know we spoke yeah. quite a bit, but this is your, is it your first I, I, and, and only? First and only. <laughs> that killed me, right? It, it can be painful, can it? I was like, wow, this is really hard. Love it. Love it. Uh, appreciate the honesty. It is really hard to do that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I don't know how you do it. Tell me, you know, along those lines, while we're going down that path, what was most difficult for you? Like, what does that mean to you that it was really hard? And of course, you had some help as well from a writer, but what was the the pain in the process? Well, during the, the Great Recession in 2008, some of my friends came to me and said, you got to write a book about this. Nobody goes through the kind of pain that you went through during that period. And mm. you just had an incredible experiences. And I think people would learn a lot from that. So I started working on it then, you know, and then uh, after I got in the hospital and almost died, I was like, I better. Well, first of all, what happened is you don't know you realize this, but when you're about to die, you get a signal to your brain that you're going to die. And it's like the clarity of that signal is like it's higher than screaming at you. Wow. It's like you're, and it's 100 percent. It's you're going to we're getting out of here. You got a few minutes to say whatever you're going to say. Say it. Wow. So when I came back, which I didn't expect, I started crying uncontrollably. It's very similar to the movie Captain Phillips, if you ever saw where he had, they shot all the people around him. He was sure he was going to die. And he had the exact same thing happen. I, not, not, I didn't have people shot around. But, right. but, uh, so when I came back, I just got this signal going, write the book. Right? Like God is telling me to write the book. I'm yeah. like, okay. You know, I can't write, right? <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I'll try. So I try. I wrote about 13 chapters and I went, this is terrible. <laughs> I can't. I got it. Two of them were pretty good. And I was like, <laughs> I got to get write this for me. And so I interviewed authors and finally found someone that could do it and had the time. And I literally spent a year with them. And I'd already done these recordings and I did some more because I was kind of walking through my life. Yeah. And he, and he took it from there and did it. I think he did a yeoman's job, yeah. great job. Fantastic. So it was this obviously incredible <clears throat> near-death experience that motivated you to actually, you know, finally uh, take up the banner and, and get it done. Talk to me a little bit about that. When was that? 
and how soon after that did you just go okay this is this is something i've gotta i've gotta do um october of 2013 i was 63 and it was a blood clot issue i had blood clots in my legs and i'd I'd gone to china 29 times and so i already I'd been on blood thinners, but I, you needed blood. You need anticoagulants. That's something I learned, which maybe your audience would should know because I was on the wrong medicines, and I was like, "No kidding!" And so, and, and you know, if people think aspirin is blood thinner. It is blood thinner, but it doesn't anticoagulate your blood, so it doesn't prevent clots. So you've got there's only about three medicines you can take that that will do that. So anyway, I got on that afterwards, but but before that, I wasn't. So after the it happened. I started trying to relook at what I'd written so far and fix it. And obviously, the hospital scene was one of the things I did. I thought I did really well on. Yeah. Because I wrote down everything really quick that happened, and so I, I said, "This is like something nobody. I don't know that anybody's gone through this where they, you know, that they can say you're going to get a signal, you're going to die. And it's going to be in the infinity of it all. I know you're C.S. Lewis guy, so yeah. the fact that you've lived." for 60 plus years and infinity, the difference in your mind at that point is resonates so much that you can't, you're like, okay, well that was what life was like. And here comes forever and ever. And it's so your, your mind just goes like, wow, that is a really, that is life was so short. Wow. It sounds like a lot went through your mind in a very very short period of time. Yes, you're going like, okay, well, let's say whatever you're going to say because we're out of here, buddy. No kidding. My wife happened to be there, so I was just apologizing to her. I was like, I think I've left you with a mess here. You're going to have to deal with it. I'm dying before I'm ready, you know. Right, right. You said a couple of things that um, are interesting to me, and I I don't know what they mean to you. Uh, You know, like you used a word like signal. You get this signal. What does that mean? Can you be more descriptive of like, that experience, and I know that this isn't directly related to your book, although you have this it's in, in your book. Yes, it's, it's in there. It's, yeah. So what happened was I had five blood clots in my lungs, and so one went through and obviously got stuck somewhere, and my heart started to stop, and when my, my heart rate went to 30. Wow. And um, I thought I was having heartburn. I'm trying to get the nurse to come in, and I'm all like, come on, come on, come on. And never answered me. And my, I texted my wife. I said, I think this is it. She was down in the cafeteria getting a cup of coffee. And she thought, you know, I'd unplugged my cell phone. <laughs> I was like, no, this is it. The game over. So what happened was the nurses came in. But I, I realized I'm dying. They called me. You know, they called and said, what's wrong with this? I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to die. And I have just a few minutes. And I can tell you, I know I'm going to die. And it's just, other than a signal, I don't know what you'd call it. It's some, a higher power saying, "Yeah, you got a few minutes, dude. This part of your career is over. But you, know, you, were, you were totally conscious. You were totally aware. Yes, I never blacked out. Here's the thing is, your bed you know, goes up to watch TV. Well, it also goes down, so your head is below your, your feet. And so they pushed me down the bed, and they filled me full of dopamine and salt water, and I came back. But having known not 50% or 80%, but 100% that I was going to die and not, and coming back, I was kind of going, why am I alive? Wow. I'm not supposed to be alive. You know, this is not, doesn't make any sense to me that I'm here. Hmm. Why am I here? Hmm. 
And I would say writing the book was one of the reasons. I, I mean, and yes, I wrote it for my kids and grandkids, but for business people, for everything, for, yeah. you know, for belief, what I believe in and how, what, how it can be really hard to be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of things in there that would be helpful to somebody that one wants to be an entrepreneur or wants to have a, a better life. Yeah. All right. Let's dive in there. What would you say to a business owner that, you know, has yet to experience all the ups and downs? I went through the 2007 and eight crisis. In fact, that's what led me out of one career into the, the book business. Very, very painful time in my life. You've been through that. You've been even just in a few minutes that you and I were talking before the podcast, your experience is, you know, incredible. What would you say? for a business owner that has yet to experience these things that the book will help them with, or why should they kind of embrace the book? There's six traits to an entrepreneur. You, you really got this from the EOS group. Um, okay. Gina Whitman, you know who I'm talking about? Yes, yes. And I read his book about entrepreneurship. I was like, wow, this is right. And I'm like, I didn't know I had these, but everybody that wants to have their own business should know it. I mean, yeah. The one that I think gets everybody is risk taker. So uh, I was listening to my, the guy that runs the executive leadership program, Center for Executive Leadership Program in Birmingham. He does mostly prayer uh, groups with, or Bible study groups with people here. was talking about these interviews they did with people that were over 85 and their regrets in life. And the number one regret was, I didn't take enough risk. Right. Said to him, wow. I think I might be took too many risks. <laughs> I don't have that problem. <laughs> there were, another thing was about relationships, which I have a lot. Of, I think we're having great relationships. Is really important. My wife relationship is incredibly important. But the other one is driven. And you'll know if you have that because you can't sleep. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm so driven. I'm like going, oh, I'm glad I have this, but boy, it is killing me. I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah. I can't sleep at night. And then, there's a few other being responsible is obviously one of them. So there's a, a lot of things in there. Passionate, visionary. You know, those are the, the others that are really important. And so, are you? Are do you address those things within the book? And problem and, solver. No, you'll see me go through. I yeah. say I have an MBA in mistakes. <laughs> so I keep making these mistakes. And here's the key: is is pushing through. Make the mistake. I made a. $30 million mistake one time and my staff was going to come into me particularly the customer service staff was going we're going to go out of business said so, no we're not we're going to make it through I'm going to walk you through what we're going to do to get through this and we're going to instead of losing 30 million at one time we're going to lose it over five years <laughs> so it doesn't kill us you know? and it's probably not going to be 30 million yeah but we sold 30 million dollars of this stuff I was like there's a paint problem we had with Sherwin Williams and that we had in China and we wanted to sue Sherwin Williams, but we couldn't because it was, we'd have to sue him in China. Anyway. <laughs> oh, what a, what a nightmare. Oh, the nightmare. Oh, that's just, no, that particular part is in the book, but just having all of these uh, issues by making mistakes and then regrouping and pushing through. My son calls it grit. Mm. And there's a podcast that he listened to that this girl's talking about grit. And he's like, wow, that's you. You're the guy that's kind of pushing through. And when things look like you'll never make it through. And, and obviously, the 2008, I had owed the uh, Royal Bank of Scotland $20 million. And they lost $63 billion in the fourth quarter of 2008. So they started, I didn't realize this, but they could had nowhere to get money. Fortunately, eventually, Bank of England saved them. But 
Before that, the only place they could get money is by closing their loans out and getting other banks to lend the money against their loans and get money. So, you know, at one point we we're like, they're not going to be able to hit our payroll, even though we have enough line, credit line. Yeah. We may not be able to make payroll because they run out of money. Right. Right. And they're not government. They can't just print it. They've got to, right. you know, either have it in profit. So situations like that where you have to get through and you think it's, I just think I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And then the support group that you around, you've got to have a support group that's saying, I believe in you. And I certainly had that with my wife going, I would have times I would go like, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. I made $41,000 a year. I paid myself $41,000 a year for 11 years. I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> I and deserve going, a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. And I had been making $200,000 a year before I started my business. I was like, this is, I can't do this. And she's like, you can do it. I believe in you. I was like, okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> We may not be able to buy groceries, but. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. So how long have you been married? 50 years in July. Congratulations. Yeah, a lot. That is awesome. I mean, uh, that's a heck of a milestone. Frankly. Yeah. So what are your plans? Where are you going for for 50? What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't want to go to Bonavidra. She's going to cook. No. (laughs) She's going to like to travel anymore. That's what's on the problem with COVID. It's created this, you know, this thought process of not wanting to travel. I want to take, I've got this whole plan to take her all the places in Europe she hasn't been yet. And she's like, I don't want to go to Europe. Like, You're kidding. You don't know what you missed. <laughs> and of course, we've been to Italy and France and England lots, but not in Spain, but not, you know, Netherlands and Germany. I said, you got to see Austria and Germany. Netherlands. She's like, yeah, I'm going yeah. to see. I'm going to see right like, here in Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And tend to my garden. Now, what am I going to do about my garden? I was like, <laughs> Love it. Well, that is, uh, you know, that's quite a milestone. 50 years is amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Very, very cool. So, let's start with 50 years. That's that's hard enough right there. That's right. Let's go back to the motivation to write the book. There was obviously a clear motivation, you know, feeling like, you know, I've been given a second chance. I need to write the book. But that wasn't where it started. And that wasn't the only motivation. You mentioned legacy stuff, writing a, a book for your children, grandchildren. You've mentioned business stuff, um, using the book, marketing department, that kind of thing. So talk to me about those elements. I'm intrigued by the book as a legacy piece. Of course, my whole business is built on using a book to grow your business, so I'm intrigued by how you're doing that. But let's let's first start about the legacy piece. So what were you hoping to, to kind of pass on to your kids and grandkids and future generations? Well, you know, they have this strike three year out with the third generation. Yeah. So I kind of want to put a stop to that. Hopefully I can. Certainly my son got to see how hard I worked, and he's not having to work nearly as hard. If it gets to the next generation, they're going to have it even much easier than that. And right. so if they could look back on what happened to get there, I think it might give them some guidance on how to, you know, not how to keep not, it, how to keep it. Yeah, there you go. That <laughs> and, uh, uh, I think that's that's critical. I can, of course, I, can, I have no control over that because I'll be dead. But, I mean, you know, so that's one. Two is 
actually my marketing department was more fired up. I was doing it for, like you say, for legacy. Yeah. And my marketing department said, well, we can really take advantage of that. And it is true that if people read it and they like you, they'll want to buy your products. Yep. So I wasn't writing it so people like me. It's kind of warts and all, you know, it's not, it's not, I'm great and you need to be like me or whatever. There's not much ego in there, but, um, I think people will like me, you know, if they read it and they'll want to buy the product. Cause I spent yeah. one of the things I, is when I started the company was making the product last a long time because it's outdoors and you know, you live in Florida. So, you know, you put something on the ocean gets beat up. Yeah. It eats it up. Yeah. So we had, we even developed ocean product that would be, have a five year warranty on it that not only be five years, but it would be look exactly like you bought it in five years. Whoa, that's incredible. And it could be right on the ocean. It could literally be in the sand on the ocean, you know. And so that was, uh, we felt, I felt like that was a critical part. And then we wanted people, I always said, this stuff's so expensive, it's not going to work until 15 or 20 years after I start shipping. Yeah. And so that was the philosophy is I wouldn't, couldn't get the customer to talk about the product until they had it 15 or 20 years and they go, people come up to us like, boy, this sounds like your outdoor furniture. I've had it 15, 20 years and it still looks great. That's incredible. They're your salesman. Yeah. You know, that that was a critical part of what I was doing. So um, I think there's a little bit about that in the book, but not that much. I think I think uh, the first part about liking the people involved in the company and the culture make you want to buy the product. I think that that's how we grow the business. And I mean, we're going to grow $40 million this year. So it's, uh, wow. I don't know that. I don't think the book is doing that. <laughs> I think inflation has a lot to do with that, yeah. but that's uh 25, 30% growth. And so amazing. I've, yeah. Now this is interesting. Since I started the company in 1987, it doubled every three and a half years up until 2008. But then it went back 30%. If you think about that, I know if you buy stocks, you know this, if your stock goes down 30%, it's got to go up 60% yes. to get back to the 30. Right. So you're like, every time that happens, you kind of go, I kind of go, that's going to be a lot harder than, yeah. than look. And that was when it shrunk 30, I went, wow, I've got to grow a lot to get back to where we were in 2008. And so uh, that was pretty discouraging. But now I see the growth. You know, we're having five to ten percent growth every year now, as of uh, twenty one. Really, twenty twenty was a pretty good growth year, but we're shut down for a couple of months. So, twenty twenty one is a was a huge. We're selling way more than we could ever get. I don't know if you realize the furniture business has just gone crazy. Yeah, I think a couple people are stuck in their houses. Yeah, but that's really helped this business dramatically. And what about supply chain issues that you hear about and and that sort of thing? What was that like? Well, we're the largest privately held importer in the state of Alabama. There's over 2,000 containers a year. And right now, number one, Thailand, which we only have one supplier in Thailand, you can't get a container. I'm piling up production, and I can't even get a container to pick it up to bring it in. No but can. if I did... It would have cost six thousand, and now it's thirty thousand. Wow, for freight. So my price wow. of my product. So it's five x, five x, freight. Same thing, Asia. Six thousand to fifty to thirty thousand. Incredible. China went back down. China went down to six thousand from twenty five thousand, 
but they were at a, at five. So they're up 20%, but that's nothing compared to the other. We were in the process of moving all of our production out of China, trying to get out of China. My VP, I'm doing a China speech Friday because we're big enough. China's a huge market for us. Hmm. And so there's a book called Destined for War. I'm basing this speech on this book by Harvard professor. It's a great, and that's a great book, too, if you want to read something. If you want to be scared to death, you might want to read, read that. It's about the coming Isn't about conflict with war, U.S. China. and China. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a fascinating book. But we're... We had to end up going back to China and open two new plants in China because nobody else has enough humans and equipment and product and even all our raw materials in Indonesia were coming from China. So we just went like, wow, we're going back into the devil's lair here. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how we're going to get out of here because that's where all the money. Yeah. And I set up the business based on the Ralph. You know, I was in the textile business in the 70s in New York and I called on Ralph Lauren because I was fascinated with his model and what he was doing and he's back then all the cutting was done in the United States cut and sew was all done here and uh, he wasn't making anything he was just designing product and having people make it for him in fact we were sending it to some of our suppliers that made stuff for JC Penney hmm. like how does this work he said well all we do is design and market and then we have people make the product for us and because of that we can be in any product we want to be in we can you know, it can be in women's wear, men's wear, ties, suits. We just get people to make it to our spec hmm. and then sell it and then put our brand on it. And then also, obviously, the little polo player is a big part of that. Right. I was like, man, if I, cut, if I get in business, that's what I want to do. Because when I became a salesman, I first became a salesman before I got into manufacturing or making branding, you know. So I was selling products that where they had a factory that made the product. And then the market would change. And they'd say, why are you not selling our product anymore? I was like, well, the market's gone here. Make that. I'll make, I'll sell that. And they were like, we can't make that. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm going where the market's going. Right. You know, so I said, man, somebody needs to make what the customer wants to buy instead of what their factory makes. And so that's. Sounds simple, that's, doesn't it? That, that's what my model is. Yeah. And so it's really helped me because my competition, a lot of my competition's making product in the United States. So I say they live in a box. Yeah. The box is this manufacturing plant that makes X amount of product. And they can increase their production by adding people, more space, more equipment, more shifts. But they're stuck with this box. Right. And most of them have said, this is too risky. I'm not going to go build, add on to my box or increase my production or add a shift. Well, you can't add a shift because you can't get the people. So I've been able to add factory capacity and increase volume dramatically over a relatively short period of time, where some of my, some of my uh, competitors are sold out until 2023. Wow. Oh, my They're gosh. taking orders right now for 2023. I'm guessing they're taking them saying, I'm going to sell you the, pr- the production time, but I, the price may change. No kidding. So, yeah, I just got that last week. So I said, Hey, we're placing orders now for, with X Factory for 2023. I was like, "Well, I still got stuff I can get you in eight weeks." No kidding. Why you dump them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No wonder you've grown 25, 30 percent in one year. Yeah, I think this year is going to be even better because what happened? This all happened in the March, April, May timeframe last year, where people got sold up and couldn't ship and got sold up through Christmas. Yeah. 
course, nobody, we're mostly in outdoor furniture. And so mostly, and I want out my outdoor furniture in December that I ordered in May. Yeah. Now it's gone out to, you, you know, when I got into the textile business in 1972 in New York, we were sold out and on allotment for two years. And so I was excited. I'm going to be a salesman. You know, I just got out of Auburn. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. What, tell me, tell me how, what I need to do. And they were like, well, it's really different right now. We're on allotment. I was like, what's allotment? So that's where we tell the customers how much they can get. And we're sold out for two years. And I was like, that doesn't sound like selling to me. <laughs> It's like, right. well, it's not. In fact, they're taking us out to lunch now, and they're begging us for more production, and we can sell all that we can make. I was like, wow, catbird seat. Yeah. Why don't we make more? <laughs> yeah. They couldn't. I mean, that's the same thing. They're, same they, problem. They the didn't box. want to take the risk. Inflation yeah. was causing it. Same right. thing that's causing this. Inflation was causing this because people were covering, and we wouldn't raise the price. What's happening to us now is people are raising our price on our existing orders. So the orders that we're, we've yeah. already played yeah. for fabric, for example, yeah. we've got an increase from our big fabric suppliers umbrella starting January 15th. And I called the CEO. I was like, what, what are you doing, dude? I'm like, I, the one reason I placed the orders is so, you know, you could cover yourself and not increase my prices. I can't. i got to increase them. I'm like 8%. It was 8.7, almost 9%. No kidding. And I'm like going, I can't go back to my customers and ask them to pay more because you're charging me more. Right. You don't have to, but I'm charging you. You're, sorry. You, have, you do whatever you yeah. want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm charging you more if you want the stuff. Fine. Crazy. Love it's, it. And there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, I see it. I can actually talk to you about mm-hmm. that all day, but we're under time constraints. We need to have a B, I think, here. We need to have a uh, yeah. a podcast B. <laughs> okay, B for B. <laughs> That's right. No, I mean, super enjoyable to talk to you, B. I mean, let, let's Thank you. let's uh, let's end a. Where can people learn a little bit more about you, about your company, maybe speaking opportunities, etc. Where can we send them for that? Well, there's a. I, by the way, I had to buy my viewwhite.com. I was like, somebody has that? Someone had it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll buy it. So viewwhite.com, you can go to viewwhite.com, you can go to summerclassics.com, you okay. can go to gabby.com, you can buy the book on Amazon, which I think even if you go to viewwhite.com, it's probably going to send you to Amazon to buy yeah. the book. Or you can go in one of our stores. We have 20 stores in the United States from one here Arizona. In Jacksonville. Well, we're open in Arizona, huh? One here in Jacksonville. One there in Jacksonville, yes. And then all the way up to Chicago and over to, uh, we're opening in Annapolis in this year. Love it. This spring. And then uh, the closest one to that's Richmond. And then down across to, uh, we're opening this spring in uh, Arizona in Scottsdale. And then we're all over Texas. We're in San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Houston. Fantastic. Well, so, But we also have dealers. We have dealers that have the book too. We have over 600 dealers. Very so. good. Very good. That's a great distribution center right there. Yep. You know, love it. Wonderful speaking to you. So bewhite.com, which is B-E-W-white.com, as well as the others, uh, Summer Classics, et cetera. We'll have all of those in the show notes. Uh, in all sincerity, love to have you back on because I'd love to speak about, you know, a little bit more about the business stuff that we were just getting into. And of course, uh, you know, the you got to take me up on the coffee thing uh, next time you're here yeah. in uh, beautiful St. Oh, yeah. Augustine. I am. I love that place. Love it. Yeah, me too. Um, 
Bu, thank you. Thanks for being a part of the podcast and uh, look forward to uh, to be. Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready to be. Be at be. <laughs>